Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you are joining us once again. This is episode 160, uh, recording Sunday, January 23rd, 2022, at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We're recording in the middle of the uh, Rams-Bucks playoff game, so you may hear some random comments thrown in there. That's one thing that was pretty cool. That was a great catch. There's one thing that was pretty cool. Um doing the live show last week is we got to react live and then just all the all the movie fans that were listening were just like what what are you talking about football is that is that the one that's not round i don't know anyways todd and zach are here i'm terry how's it going guys i mean great so far but <laughs> now who knows First of all, you're like 20 seconds ahead of me, and there's no Nickelodeon slime option that I can turn to. <laughs> I, I I'm always, I'm always ahead of Todd. Me. Todd always hates it because I'm I end up ahead. But uh, yeah, I, Zach, I was texting you uh, earlier today saying uh, I don't. I, I know you love the Chiefs and all, but how cool would a Bengals Bills AFC Championship game be? Yeah, I mean, we're also in a world where Peter Farley has a best picture winner. And um, I guess, you know, other we, we've had many crazy things happen. So it, it, it's not impossible, but it's not going to happen. And, and when everyone listens to this in a couple it. days. I guarantee it. I guarantee it here. There's no way. There's <laughs> no way we lose to Josh Allen. I'm sorry. It's not happening. The guy can't win on the road. He's going to do that in Kansas City earlier this year. In the playoffs. Can't win on the road. When's the last time he's been to a Super Bowl? <laughs> go back to North Dakota. No, wait, that's that's uh, that's Carson. Go back to go back to Wyoming. Excuse me. I mean, earlier this year, Josh Allen was sacked and intercepted by Josh Allen. So, and neither of them were the friend we went to college with. So, that's true. Shout out to Josh Allen. Yeah, shout out to Josh Allen. All right, the Todd. MVP I was and LVP simultaneously. There you go, Todd. I was texting Zach earlier, and everyone's saying it's Brady or Rogers for MVP. But is it fair to say that it should be Cooper Cup? Uh, well, I mean, I thought it should have been Jonathan Taylor, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. th there are other options. It's going to be Rogers <laughs> for sure, but Cooper Cup is going to win Offensive Player of the Year probably. He, he triple crown, he, like receiver triple crown. He almost like he was that he's second. Um, all in all time in single season for catches and second all time in single season for yards. And he was like four catches and like 15 yards away from both of them. Yeah. Which oh, is crazy no that he <laughs> like almost indisputably the, uh, the best receiving season of all time. You can I said, suck I said it, it stuck up. Cooper cup or Joe Burrow. That, that should be the, the MVP or Antonio Brown. I mean, <laughs> if, you know, getting the league talking again, Getting football back in the in the popular conscious. Hats off to the guy, or shirts off, I should say. <clears throat> well, let's get into what we're actually here to talk about, which is movies, not not football. Even though it's going to pop up as we go along, uh, we have a, a featured review of a very anticipated 2021 movie that finally uh, was able to be seen by the masses. Because honestly, we're not important enough to uh, to see it any other way, and. Uh, 
then we've got um we're reviewing a couple of the movies we highlighted last week as some of our favorites of 2021 before we do uh before we do some uh power rankings and trivia and all that fun stuff but first zach what are you drinking is it still dry january it is there we go Ooh, but the metal straw very nice very nice gotta keep it chilled mm-hmm. todd this is the Glen Logie blended Scotch whiskey with a olive and a jalapeno onion in there. Very you nice. love the jalapenos. I've I've noticed that in your in your drinks. Oh yes, I love spicy. It's a bold yeah. choice. All right. Well, I, I was thinking about this. I mean, we we always do the what are you drinking? And the reason is, I mean, let, let's face it this is just an excuse for the three of us to sit down and talk with each other for a couple hours. And then we just turn on microphones so other people can listen if they want. Um, so I thought that I was thinking about that this week anyways. Um, so I did the matrix beer last week. Um, and that was a collaboration that Ridgewalker did with, uh, another brewery called hop capital. And, uh, they've like done this like merger with them now. So they've got a bunch of their beers. So it's another collab that they did. This is the hop elixir IPA. It's pretty good. It's a good, solid IPA. Very exciting. And very chilled. All right. Well, make sure you are subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the internet, wherever you can find podcasts. Like, just download every podcast app and just subscribe everywhere. It, it really helps. Let's see here. What have we been watching? Uh, let's start with Todd. Uh, so, most people yesterday were probably watching football. I was watching <laughs> Ozark Season 4 part one which is the part first part of the last season which i hate how they do that with all these shows but there there you go um it's it's in this situation now in this show where it's like they need to explain some things and get them out of a hole that they've written themselves into so they're just going to add a principal character and make him like the main villain to uh just expand the world even more and make it more even more like breaking bad season four level insanity of what's going on and that's pretty much where we're at Omar Navarro's nephew is that character. His name is Javi. He's like the eyes and ears of the cartel because he's younger and a little bit dumber, but he's like out on the field actually doing the dirty work for the cartel when Omar is back in Mexico calling the shots from his mansion. Uh, He also wants part of the throne, which makes it uh, an interesting family dynamics he's got. He's basically Lalo from Better Call Saul. Like uh, there's, there's like a Breaking Bad comp for every character in the show, honestly. Uh, Ruth is acting on her own, sort of like becoming one with the enemy. Darlene is as nasty and evil as ever. Jonah's rebelling against his parents. We get callbacks to some things that happened in the past seasons, which is cool. Laura Linney's um, Wendy Bird has gone full Walter White. And J- Jason Bateman's just awesome. He's so calm and underplays everything, which makes Marty such a great character. I love this show. It- it's getting ridiculous. Uh, like, and the only way out is to just keep upping the body count, really, which is fine. It just, uh, but somehow these writers keep making it unpredictable and grounded enough in reality to keep us from really questioning it. Like, I can't wait for the last seven episodes, whenever that comes out, probably later, like after the Emmy window, so that they could have two more award cycles with the show. But yeah, Ozark is definitely worth binging if you got like, I mean, this is only seven more episodes. So it's an awesome show. I haven't started it. I've watched the first on the two, list. I've watched the first two seasons of it. Todd, <laughs> who's your uh, better call Saul candidate? If they, if they were to make a, a spinoff of Ozark, uh, who would you recommend it being about? Well, like a, a prequel? 
No, not necessarily a prequel, just a spinoff about with one of the characters. I, I mean, was like, I like the corrupt hard. politician in the Missouri Senate or whatever. That guy who who yeah he's on, yeah on the lake. He's he was good. Cool. He, he's he's kind of disappeared uh, from the show, but I mean he, he is a he is he would be an interesting character to follow around. I mean obviously Ruth is the the main one, but she's Jesse Pinkman essentially. Right. I don't. Oh no, uh, the the one uh, the the lawyer lady played by Janet McTeer would would be a fascinating character to see what her daily work is. All right, all right, sounds good. I'll go next. Uh, my Oscar watch. I didn't get a report on mine last week, but I mentioned it just briefly, and I'll mention it again. Last week, I got to watch Malcolm X for the first time, thirty year anniversary of that. Um, yeah, it's a four star movie. It's in my top ten, top five, I think, of nineteen ninety two. Now, just brilliant, brilliant film. All of what Spike does actually works in that where it didn't work in some of his more recent stuff. But this week I watched, uh, this was from 2002, so 20 years ago, and it was a nominee for Best Documentary. I'm going to see if I can get it, or if you guys can get it. It was, I mean, it, it wasn't the winner, but it was potentially the most popular of the documentaries. Like, I definitely heard of this one. So this is um, the year of, of Bowling for Columbine, This right? was the year of Bowling for Columbine, yeah. That was the winner. Was it Spellbound? Spellbound, yeah, it was. Nice. Uh, yeah, this was a really cool documentary. So directed by Jeffrey Blitz, and he follows eight kids who are working their way to the National Spelling Bee. And, um, and they just it's just eight random kids that they pick. And you can tell it's kind of random because some of them uh, some of them like get out on the first word and it's like, well, there you go. They got out on the first word and that's, that's where their story ends. But the cool part is they actually have the winner in, in the eight that, uh, that they pick, which is, which is really cool. And I mean, when you have kids, you never know what to expect. There's a, a couple that are a whole lot of fun, um, to watch and to see how they go about things. And, uh, it is, it is a really fun, cool documentary. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, it's on Canopy right now, so it's easy to find. So if you haven't watched it, uh, Spellbound. I, I sat and watched it with my wife, who is a, a kind of a geek when it comes to spelling bees, and we both loved it. So it's cool. Spellbound. Check it out. Yeah, I remember enjoying it, too. Although I have to say <laughs> I get it confused with the documentary about the New York Times crossword that came out a few years after that with Mike Messina and Bill oh. Clinton, which is also a very good documentary. But uh, yeah, spelling. How about Wordle today, Terry? I mean, I didn't even know. I haven't, what... I, haven't, I haven't done today's yet. Oh, okay. Do you want me to spoil it for you? No, don't spoil it for me. Okay. Well, I'll just say. Maybe I'll do it during your review. I won't say what it is, but it was a very strange word that I don't think I'd ever heard of before. Okay. I'm going to do it during your review. All right. Okay. So, Zach, uh, go ahead. And what have you been watching? I've also never missed a Wordle, by the way. Um, I missed one. I've okay. missed one. Uh, so, uh, you know, we did these stupid top 10 lists last week. We knew the second, well, at least I knew the second I did mine, I was going to change mine. And, let, and, and lo and behold, 24 hours later, I saw a great 2021 movie that uh, immediately negates anything I may have said last week. Although it's not my number one. It is the current frontrunner professor of national uh, film, Drive My Car by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. 
listen, uh, Todd said it's his number 11. I think I, I currently have it now number six. It is a great movie. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know too much what to say about it, except, you know, from what you know, you know, it's about a theater director who's putting on a, a stage adaptation of Uncle Vanya um, in Hiroshima. And he has a driver who escorts him onto the set every day for reasons that are kind of humorous and interesting. He has a wife and there's an interesting kind of backstory and undercurrent to their relationship that's uh, analyzed more and more as the movie goes along. And then the driver has a bit of a backstory too. This movie absolutely like casts a spell. I don't know even really how to classify it. It's kind of comic. It's kind of dramatic. It's very unpredictable. It's full of these great kind of little uh, characters and performances and, and, and monologues. There's some great storytelling in this movie. Like literally there's a scene where a guy just tells a story in, a, in the backseat of a car, looking at the camera, kind of doing the Jonathan Demi thing where the character looks straight on at the camera. And it is mesmerizing. It makes me think that we should just have, you know, more movies where characters just tell stories and, you know, leave it up to the viewer's imagination. Anyway, this movie, the, the closest compared, I said if it was directed by an American, it would be Peter Hedges. I don't know if Todd totally agrees with that. It's, uh, it's an unclassifiable movie. I will say, though, the way that Terry feels about his favorite movie, Nine Days, and particularly the end of that movie, is the way that I feel about the last 10 minutes of Drive My Car. It has, Ooh. I think, the greatest ending of any movie in uh, 2021. And the theater that I was in was silent the whole three hours. It never felt like a chore. I love this movie. And uh, yeah, it, it, it deserves all the praise that it's made. Definitely getting nominated for Best Director. And screenplay. Deservedly so. As well. Deservedly so. I think the main guy should get nominated for Best Actor. I thought he was tremendous in it. Uh, Suzyoshi Goro. No. Sorry. Not not him. Hitagoshi uh, uh, Nishijima. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got two guesses in. That's all. That's as far as I've gotten my wordle. I'll, I'll finish it later. It's tough today, man. I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Wordle. We didn't know what you were talking about with season four of Ozark, so. Okay. I play Wordle. Not even an app. That's a that's the funny part about it. Is it's 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 a website. Yeah, that's the best part about it. It's like delightfully 2012, you know? And you can only do it once a day. That that's the other great thing. Yeah. I play I play a math game with my kids sometimes that it reminds me a lot of. It's except it's letters instead of numbers. All right, so there we go. I still have to see Drive My Car. Um, I don't think it's playing anywhere around here, so I'm probably going to have to wait till I can rent it or stream it or buy it or something. All right, moving on. It is time for our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. Like I said, for a featured review this week, we are looking at a movie that uh, is has been one of the more anticipated simply because of who made it. It was uh, it is a hero written and directed by Oscar Farhadi, uh, who brought us such great uh, films of the 2010s like A Separation and The Salesman. And here he is with his next effort. And um, and I will say he knocks it out of the park again. Uh, this stars uh, Amir Jadidi, who plays Rahim, who is a man who is in prison for uh, uh, in debtor's prison. So he has a debt. He can't pay it. He's in prison until he can pay it off. 
he gets a couple days leave and he is uh his girlfriend has found found some gold coins and he's going to sell them to try and pay off some of his debt see if he can get out of prison um uh, showing a sign of good faith um because of some circumstances he decides you know what let's maybe we should do the right thing and see who these actually belong to and so he he decides to be a good samaritan and puts out ads to try and find who actually owns these uh someone comes and picks them up and and there you go there it is he did a he did a good deed and that's kind of that well then people start to find out about it and he's um he gets on the news and then everyone starts nitpicking the story and thinking, well, obviously he must not be telling the truth then. And he's just trying to get some free stuff out of this. And it, it is a fascinating story about how doing a good deed ended up getting this guy in more and more trouble and making his life even worse than it was before. And uh, it, it it's just fascinating how it, it depicts society and, and, a very unfavorable way, but I don't think necessarily a bad way or an inaccurate way. Uh, yeah, it's a four star movie. It's in my top 10. Now this was just kind of a, an odd gut punch because it, uh, it showed someone trying to be, trying to be the best of humanity and it bringing out the worst in society and, um, and also the worst in him. And, uh, um, I thought that the ending and kind of how it wrapped it all up was kind of a perfect fitting end as well. I, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, Farhadi, you could easily say he's one of the best filmmakers that we have right now. I just wish he'd make stuff more than ever, once every five years or so. But four stars for me on A Hero. And yeah, it's in the back half of my top 10, but it is in my top 10 for sure. All right, let's go to Todd next. Uh, I'm not as big a fan as you are, but it's definitely good. I I, I think the movie is pretty stressful to watch, and mainly because yes. of the built-in time constraints of the story. But it, it is, uh, but the character is so painfully earnest. Like it's frustrating to watch at times, but it also makes him just a really atypical kind of lead for this sort of morality piece. It, it's it, it, he's a he's an interesting character. But the movie is a bit too long, though. That's part of the problem. It's it is pretty repetitive, and that's probably part of the point. But it does make it drag a bit uh, instead of leaving you with, which it could have left you with this like really breathless feeling at the end. But instead, it uh, it does sort of like trip its way to the to the finale. I but the acting's all really good. Uh, the main guy, uh, he's awesome. I think it's the best performance in a Far Hardy movie since the past, and and it's also the most modern Far Hardy has made. One of his movies, it embraces technology and like cultural norms in the present day more than like any of his other movies because his other movies pretty much could take place in any era. It seems like, but this one is definitely a timely movie, and uh, I, I like it. I think it's a lesser achievement from Farhadi, but he's such a brilliant filmmaker. It's, it's still really good, and it's a, it's like a really solid three stars. All right, Zach. Yeah, 
Uh, I think Farhadi is the greatest living filmmaker. Um, Separation is my number two movie of all time, even though it should be my number one. He's never made a bad movie. And in a way, I feel like he should almost be exempted from a star rating because his movies, not only are they just so different and so instantly recognizable from any other director. You know, this is a Farhadi movie almost right away. And the first scene in this movie, when the character is leaving the prison, and then we see all these characters. And the thing that I love, maybe the most of our he does so many great things. But one of the things I love most is that he trusts his audience to not be dumb. You cannot watch this movie with a phone nearby uh being distracted and yet that that makes the movie sound like it's a chore it's not he has so much confidence in both you the viewer but also his characters that he's not afraid to make scenes where not everything is instantly explained do you know what a relief that is do you know how um unusual that is especially for american movies today to have a scene where you don't necessarily know the relationship between the two characters and you don't know their backstory but he just gives it enough enough information and enough time for it to sink in and let you salivate a little bit and marinate on it. And, 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 and then maybe later you find out a little bit more and it's not as if it's not as if he's deliberately obfuscating something, you know, one, one, one of the key events of this movie happens before the opening credits roll and we never go back to it. Uh, and we don't really need to, there's also some mysteries about who the original owner of uh, this, pur- this purse, this missing item really was and I'm not necessarily going to say whether there's resolution or not to it, but it's almost like it's not a concern of Farhadi. Uh, I think we kind of get, by about midway through, we kind of get the idea that what this movie's trying, oh, there we go, interception. Uh, what we try to get, um, what, what we kind of get in this movie is that Farhadi's saying, look, this guy did a good thing. He didn't lie. What if we made a movie about a guy who does the right thing, but still gets punished for it? Not in a tragic anti-hero sort of way, but in a way that just kind of reflects how um, you know people have their own selfish uh, self-interests. Um, you're right, Terry. This is a movie that I is not really critical of Iran. I mean, you have a prison um, in this movie that I think does some somewhat shady things. The prison actually supports his release in this movie. The prison like gets 100% behind him in this movie. But again, they kind of have their own agenda, their own motivations. I'm giving this movie three and a half stars. Uh, for me, it's on the about Ellie kind of level. Um, there's a couple things that I don't love about it. One is that there's a critical scene midway through the movie where the, the main character has to basically fabricate a recreation of events. And he brings in these people into this kind of bureaucratic space. And I had a hard time believing that that bureaucratic character, that sort of in-between uh, official would have that much of a stake pressing and pressing. I felt like, to me, that scene was a necessary sort of uh, obstacle that the that the uh, character had to, to, to get in trouble with. <clears throat> and it felt more like a machination of the screenplay than I think what that kind of bureaucrat would really act like. Um, I agree with Todd. It's a little bit lengthy at times. There are times when there are some characters that you just, it's, it's kind of like they, they almost feel like accessories Todd's also making a good point that this is a movie, I think, that's somewhat addressing um, uh, contemporary issues of social media and cancel culture and kind of the media circus a little bit in maybe a similar way that the salesman addressed uh, issues of the Me Too movement. I don't know if Farhadi is just that timely or whether his movies just have great uh, happenstance with their releases. 
But you watch a Farhadi movie and he's just so above and beyond what any other filmmaker in the world is doing with his style. He never uses music. He never has flat, flat you know, you could reduce some of his stories to almost, um, you know, uh, almost soap opera melodrama, but that's just it on paper. His movies are so much deeper, so much more complex. And I love in this movie that he's really asking the question about what, what, is, a, what is a hero? Is the heroic thing something that you do when you're faced with a moral crisis or is the heroic act in the aftermath of it, which so few movies, so few fil- storytellers are willing to explore. I agree with you, Terry. I-, I love this movie. To me, it's just, it's not, I mean, when you're dealing with the best filmmaker in the world, it's, you know, it's a, it's a hard sort of basis to go off of, but uh, it, it's so above and beyond what other filmmakers are doing. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie that I'm still processing. Yeah, I- I'm still processing it too. Um... I, I like Todd's point in that it's it's a timely movie in where Farhadi's movies tend, tend to be more timeless. However, it might be his might be his least Iranian movie too because this I don't think I don't think Iran plays a a role in this film like it does in other in other Farhadi movies. Like this could have been made anywhere. Like this story mm-hmm. could be told it almost anywhere. I disagree with that. There's 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 stuff in here about a dowry. There's stuff in here about debtor's prison. There's yeah, stuff in yeah. here. The the uh, concepts are are very very universal to any culture. That opening scene where he goes and sees his brother-in-law at the at the you know the big monument to Xerxes. Okay, okay, you can't yes. do that in the United States. That's a great no, scene, by the way. It is it is an amazing great. scene, but it what I'm <laughs> you get what I mean though. Like his other movies are are very much you need. You need to know something about Iranian culture to understand some of the context of what's going on. Um, this one, I don't think you need to as much. Um, I think it it asks a like you said with the with cancel culture and things like that. It asks a very interesting question of can a can a flawed person with a with a shady past ever really do something good? And that's and that's really what what is this character's whole thing? Like he he does a good deed and he's trying to be known for it, and then everyone looks at him and says, "Oh wait, but." you did this or, or this may have happened. Oh, well, we can't honor you. Uh, It's, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. And what I love about Farhadi's movies is they are, um, you know, in watching it, like you said, you know, instantly that you're watching a Farhadi movie, but you know, uh, you're going to learn something about humanity in through his movies. Like he, he is going to teach you, something about the human condition and about humanity in his in the the very simple story that he finds to tell and that that is just a brilliant trait of his movies which makes him one of the best todd Todd, what are the odds uh for for this to get a a best international film nomination (coughs) should be for hotties what third pretty crowded it's a pretty crowded international film race i i think he's got a really good really good chance but i I'd on on just on street cred alone, like it, it's Farhadi, he's gonna get in. Well, yeah, so similar uh, you, to Almodovar. I mean, Parallel Mothers yeah. is another like just really good movie by a master filmmaker, and but it's probably wasn't that, that wasn't even submitted, was it? Or was it Spain? I think I don't think Parallel Mothers was submitted. So what's the Spanish movie? I don't know, but I thought I I thought I heard that Parallel Mothers wasn't even submitted. We'll we'll look this up. Are you looking it up, or should I look it up? I'm looking it up. Okay. They submitted the good boss. That was yeah. a mistake. Yeah, that was great <laughs> thinking there. 
I love that Farhadi doesn't make American movies. Yes, that, that is. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I I think he's resisted it long enough that I mean, I'm sure he movies that long. I, I'm sure there were overtures after a separation. He did not do the Florian Hinkle von Donnersmark route, thankfully. No, no, Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp. Well, yeah, but I mean, the lives of others was a more of a an easily digestible movie that you could see being like an American American style. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Terry though. Like, I think there are some definite Iranian elements to it that you'd have to retrofit. You could probably make this story in, in a lot of locations. I was kind of giving you crap there, Terry, but I just think it's 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 fascinating because you know, does the guy do the right thing? It's not even so much if he does the right thing, it's why he does what he does. And we're never fully sure about that answer because we don't know. And was he always going to do the right thing? Exactly. And (laughs) of course, Farhadi, uh, everything occurs in the first 30 minutes. He's like Hitchcock in that sense. Uh, And this is maybe the first time where because it's on Amazon Prime, you can actually go back and watch the first 30 minutes and kind of see okay well maybe that because i there were times in this movie that i was kind of lost you're always a little bit lost in a farhadi movie which is just great although you're never too lost but like i want to rewatch this movie i mean there there's so many interesting uh, components to it complex sort of emotional engagements and relationships with the characters that it, it demands a rewatch and again that's the best thing you can say about a filmmaker even though it's not it's probably not a top 10 movie for me but it's just so much more in depth and thoughtful than really anything anything else that's out there yeah except drive my car well yeah drive my car is a very different kind of movie but that's the problem is, you know, Farhadi is in a place like Scorsese was, you know, maybe in the early 90s when, you know, okay, Age of Innocence, it's a fine movie, but it's not like, you know, uh, Goodfellas or Taxi Driver. I mean, he, he can't just knock it out of the park every time, right? I, I, I What I love about Farhadi is he has a very, very high floor. Like, you're, you're either getting a great movie or a masterpiece. And, and... Yeah. Well, the one with Javier Bardem, like that, yeah, one, wasn't that great. one was not that. That one was not great. That was still interesting, and I gave it thumbs up, but that was not great. This one was an improvement. I don't know if I saw that one. What was that one called? Every Everybody knows. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I missed that one. Anyways, this one is thrice approved. Like we said, it's on Prime Video right now, so you can uh, log on to your Amazon account, watch that at any point. It came out this weekend on Prime Video, so check it out. All right, there's our. Uh, our featured review now <clears throat> for our spotlight segment. What we're going to be doing is looking at two movies that we highlighted last week as uh, Todd and Zach made these their number one films of the year. And uh, Todd and I had not seen had not seen Zach's number one. Uh, Zach and I had not seen Todd's number one. They were both very easily available, so we watched them. And now we're going to talk about those. So let's start with... Oh, I don't know. Let's start with Todd's. We're going to start with Todd's movie. Uh, And that was A Family, or Yakuza in the Family, depending on where you're looking. Uh, Zach, you're going to start talking about this one. Tell us what you thought. All right, Yakuza in the Family. I was texting with Terry about this. I don't know what to call this movie... I like Yakuza in the family because a family could mean anything. Yakuza in the family is a bit more memorable, right? That's what, can can we just agree to go with that? That's what it's on IMDb is that. 
That's Screw not that what it says on the actual credits. Oh, well. The actual credits say a family. Dang it. I'm going to call it Yakuza and the Family. Who cares? You know, <laughs> I like I like Live, Die, Repeat more than whatever title that horrible Tom Cruise movie was. So I'm, I'm just going to go with it. I almost said Tomorrow War, but that was a different one. Exactly. If we could get that Ayuli Crevelo movie that we still don't remember the name to, that needed a better title too. Anyway, uh, Todd's number one movie. Are we shocked? No, no. This is a this is a Todd movie through and through. Uh, this I think is, my text to Zach was, "This is the toddiest Todd movie I've ever seen." It's up there. It's up there. <laughs> you know, touches horses. The one, the Irish one, was also up there. Touches or, horses. Uh, whatever. Uh, calm. Calm with horses. With horses. Anyway, um, okay, uh, well, let's just go through because you know Todd already talked about it a little bit. Um, I love this movie. It's a great call. It's a great call by Todd. This this was a really cool movie that um, I'll kind of say there were some there were some overlaps <laughs> for me. Uh, it had a lot of place beyond the pines. Okay, it's hard to not think about that when your main character is a bleach blonde little thug who goes on a motorcycle and he wears a, a, a jacket. Okay, so we got the Ryan Gosling of Japan at the beginning of the movie. And like The Place Beyond the Pines, this is a movie in three different parts. Like Drive My Car, the opening credits don't come on until about like 30 minutes in, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and uh, we get this kind of journey of this guy as he rises through the ranks of the Yakuza. Now, an hour into this movie, I guess th for the first two acts, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I can understand why Todd likes this movie. It's definitely Todd overtones, you know, themes of loyalty, themes of, you know, betrayal, you know, these warring Yakuza, whatever. I kind of seen it before, though. The last act of this movie, which takes place in contemporary, you know, 2019, that's when this movie gets great. My biggest criticism is that uh, you, I don't really see what's so exceptional about the first two parts of the movie, the 1999 and 2005 parts. Um, the, the 2019 part is great, though, because it's it's not at all what you think it's going to be. It's not necessarily about this guy trying to reacclimate as a part of the Yakuza. It's not like old boy where he's trying to go on some, you know, revenge fantasy mission. It's about how the Yakuza have become irrelevant and how the society has grown out of the Yakuza and people, and now they go searching for eels. I loved that. I love the scenes where they actually go like try to hunt for eels. And there's a lot about reputation. Actually, it's a little bit similar in that respect to a hero, which is that, you know, you get a bad reputation. It kind of impacts your ability to reacclimate to society and to get re uh, rehabilitated. Um, and then, you know, the relationships that he has in the movie are, are really fascinating. The mob boss to me looked like De Niro in Casino. He, that was the, that was a great performance. Um, you get some again, uh, uh, just just uh, you, you get his sort of doppelganger who's the little boy in the beginning scenes. You kind of know where that's going a little bit. But um, yeah, this was an awesome pick. And uh, again, if you kind of have to go through the, the routine of the first half of the movie, it's worth it in the second half because that was uh, really beautifully done. The, the last moments of the movie are, I think, surprising and painful and uh, really unique. And uh, it's a great call. It doesn't quite make my top 10 of the year. I'm giving it a, a solid three and a half because I don't, you know, the first hour is, is sort of conventional to me. But you get through that and you get to some really re rewarding, challenging filmmaking. It's my number uh, 13 of this year. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, Good I'm call, Todd. I'm giving it three stars. I didn't love it as much as Zach did, um, but it is still very good. Uh, I felt like I felt like this needed to be a miniseries. Like we needed to expand this. We needed to see more of it because it's trying Probably. to cover so much, and it feels like it goes through it so quickly. 
Um, and yeah, the last act is pretty is pretty amazing. Uh, from another one, it reminded me of was Stillwater, where like halfway through the movie, all of a sudden it's a different movie. And uh, but I, I think Stillwater was able to execute that piece of it a little better. Um, uh, the the ending is is brilliant and how it wraps it all up and uh, and and everything like that. I, yeah, it was good. It was a good movie, um, but uh, it, it's it's not one of one of my favorites. But it was very good. It was very good. Three stars. Yeah, I think the only thing I had a little bit of difficulty accepting in the last hour was that <laughs> Lil Ken's uh, girlfriend lover, whatever you want to call her, that she would be that willing to let him back into her life. That's where maybe if, the, if it had been more of a miniseries, we could have gotten a little bit more character development because uh, there are immediate uh, consequences to that that are very um, predictable, shall we say. And so I guess I felt as though that character who, who the filmmaker is making an intelligent, <laughs> independent person wouldn't have made a decision that stupid to let him back into her life as quickly or as easily as he does. So maybe we needed a little bit more resistance with that character, but it was a very necessary part to, to put her and her daughter back into the story too. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that does it quite like that though. Like any, any sort of gangster movie that has that sort of tone. Like I said, like I was saying, when, when I was talking about last week, it, it's like a slick Wong Kar Wai movie for like an hour and I was into it. And then it's not that anymore. Mm -hmm. And then it's something it's just a human drama after that. And I, I, I love that. It's, it flips everything that you think you're watching. And it, I was taken by it both times that I watched it. Yeah, I mean, and then another way that it, it's so funny, because I watched this yesterday, and then I watched The Hero this morning. It's, another way that it intersects with The Hero is the power of social media and, like, how mm -hmm. taking photos really kind of messes things up. <laughs> and what's kind of cool about this movie is, you know, he doesn't really understand social media. He doesn't know how to use a smartphone when he's in 2019. Um, and it's just not... I don't know that that character to me at the end, it's great performance by that main actor, by the way, as he ages, but he just, he, yeah. it's not even physical that he looks older. He just acts older. He acts <laughs> a lot more world weary and, and depressed. And uh, to me, it's also, I think a lot about Japan and it's about the kind of um, the, 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 the decline of the Yakuza, which I don't know if that's a topic that gets that much attention in Yakuza movies. I mean, Yakuza movies are meant to kind of show how awesome they are and how exciting. And this is about the decline and how, you know, in the seventies, they, they were pretty awesome, but, but, you know, today when well, the movie takes place in the nineties, but like how today it's almost like they're almost a laughing stock, right. Or they're just, uh, you know, have been totally removed from any sort of respectability in that society, which, is a side that I've never seen before. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. So thrice approved on uh, on a family, Yakuza and the family, Yakuza and a family. It's on Netflix. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Under better, family, <laughs> better than the, better than the killing of Chamberlain, right? Even though it has a worse uh, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes score. True. There really aren't that many reviews of this movie out there. Yeah. I think it had five reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. They see, it was fun watching this movie in a hero because there was no plot synopsis on Wikipedia. So you're all in it for yourself, <laughs> right? You better pay attention yeah. to that shit. It's streaming, so you can't have your phone out. Uh, but uh, in bo both times, they're both really great movies that were not too difficult to follow. Yeah. All right. 
Very good. Very good. So now let's move on to, to Zach's pick. Zach's number one of 2021, which was The Rescue. And let's see here. I'll start talking about this one. Or Todd, you haven't started talking about a movie yet. So you're going to start talking about this one. Tell us, tell us all about what you thought of The Rescue. Okay, well, it's directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassar Hell Yi. And it is about the rescue of 12 Thai soccer players and their assistant coach in the Tham Luang Cave Rescue. Uh, they decide to go to the, this cave after a game and they get stuck when uh, it gets flooded. And they're like trapped deep within the cave, which gets the attention of the world. Except for me, because I didn't know I, I didn't know what this incident was when I started watching I it. I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. And uh, several countries send their best cave divers to help <laughs> save the group. And the, the group had already been lost for days. I think uh, the total amount of time was 18 days that they were stuck. The uh, I, I think the movie is definitely a National Geographic movie, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think the subjects they interview are that interesting uh, to, to listen to. But the story is super compelling. And it, it remains intense because you can put yourself in the shoes of some of the characters. But part of what holds the movie back for me a little bit is I don't really understand the geography of it. Like, they did one thing where they sort of mapped out the cave with a, some computer graphic, but it doesn't really give you an idea of what you're actually looking at. So where, where they're going and what they're doing, I never really was fully understanding what I was watching. Because of this, I, I think it takes, like, a, maybe a half an hour to really get into it. Uh, I know I saw originally Kevin McDonald was supposed to direct it. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of his documentaries, but I know he's a good filmmaker. Uh, but and I think there's a little, there's, there's a lot of like jargon and stuff that I, and, and niche interviewing that I wasn't really <laughs> understanding what the divers were talking about. But it's a triumphant story. And, but part of my problem with documentaries is like, I have problems with this, but I'm still giving it three stars because you can't not be taken by this story. I, I, I don't, I don't think the actual film is a whole lot more engaging than if, if I would have watched it like unfold on the news in real time or something like that. But I mean, it is, it is a really, uh, a tense uh, time watching the movie. Yeah, the uh, I'm I'm right with Zach on this one. It's not my number one, but it's in my top five of the year. This was this was brilliant. And talk about tense. I mean, I I I had to sit there for like an hour after watching this movie and decompress because this this movie just it, it's so so intense and it um it's able to to mix in some uh, some reenactment footage in a way that you don't even realize that you're you're seeing reenactment at, uh, on some of it. Um, and Zach, I know you compared it to Apollo 13 last week, and I, there is a little bit of that in there. But I was kind of thinking this is like Argo meets Armageddon. Um, I think the only reason Armageddon is is thought to be such a stupid movie because like this would never happen. This is so stupid. But the rescue, it actually does happen. It's like, oh, all these Navy SEALs can't figure it out. So we got to bring in these 60-year-old men who just go diving through these caves for fun on the weekends. And they're going to save this soccer team. Um, and 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 then I, I think Ar there's a lot of Argo in it also. Just this idea of, you know, this is the this is the best, worst idea we have. Uh, and that's what they have to go with. Because it there's, there's no good way to do this. And... Oh man, it is it is brilliant, and just just the fact that this happened. I mean, and, and the way they're able to to piece it all together and tell the story, and and through the eyes of these just average ordinary guys who were able to be superheroes for a week, 
as they as they figured this out and and solved this problem. Uh, it is it is a brilliant, inspiring, intense, moving documentary, and it, it's it it this is what documentaries are for are are to be able to tell stories like this. Yeah. So quickly, you guys, uh, Ron Howard next year directing Thirteen Lives. Do you know who he has as his main actors in this story? Oh, he's he's telling this story. Yes, he's telling oh, this story as a movie next year. So, so the main actors are you are you talking like who the who the divers are going to be? Yes, who are who who plays the divers? Do you have guesses? I had I had my cast list, but I'll tell you the cast list after you. Well, guys. I, I had come across this when I was looking at like Oscar stuff for next year, so I I know of the project. It comes uh, out in like I'm, a couple months. It comes out in a couple months, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh gosh. I have a hard time believing it's going to be good. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say one of them is going to be like Michael Keaton. No, he's, he's no. too old. Oh, I don't know. He's also not British. <laughs> yeah, we got Colin Farrell, Viggo Mortensen and Joel Edgerton. Now, okay. my casting, okay. I, I think they're too they're, they're too in shape. They're too good looking. I went with John C. Riley, Rain Wilson and John Lithgow. That's the movie I want. <laughs> that's, that's a little because more. These guys, these guys are awkward, and I I know what you're saying, Todd. I know that they go into jargon, and sometimes they talk about like their suits and how they have to like make customized rigs for their suits and the and the tanks and the things like that. But that to me was interesting. Like they didn't hold back. They weren't trying to dumb it down for the audiences. And I don't know. I mean, we're living in a world where you know everything is so computerized. Everything is so predictable and can be. Uh, uh, solved by, through an AI or an algorithm, unless it's COVID. And this is one of those rare situations where you needed to rely on human instinct and experience and judgment to make those calls. And I hear you, Terry, with the Argo comparison. Another comparison with Argo is that um, they're in a foreign country. And there's one part of the movie yeah. where they talk about how the Thai government is actually one of the one of the more uh, draconian governments, and they might actually get in trouble if, if there are lives lost. So not only are they jeopardizing their life, but they're also maybe jeopardizing their future if they make it out, but the but the uh, you know kids don't. Um, it's just I agree with you, Todd, to sense that it maybe is more about the story than the actual documentary storytelling, if that makes sense. But if you also think about it, it's like they they did a bit of recreation with this, but it's I mean how do you how would you map out a cave like that? Like I wouldn't even know where to begin to do something like that visually as a storyteller. And I think actually they make it as clear as as humanly possible. They don't have any footage from the actual rescue itself, so I think the recreations just kind of <laughs> serve the, that purpose really nicely. And I I don't know. I to me the coincidences in this story, the odd sort of you know, stuff that's going on um, in terms of the fact that it was the one diver's <coughs> girlfriend who in her, her town where it was happening. I mean, are you seriously? You can't, you can't make that stuff up. And then, of course, and I mentioned this last week, there's a spiritual aspect to this movie that I think is just really unique and, and fascinating and rewarding. And uh, the filmmakers have talked a lot about this movie. They've said that basically they had a cut of this movie done before they got any footage from the Thai government. And that's actually the majority of the footage of the actual rescue that's in this movie. So I, it, this movie went through a long process of editing and re-editing in the midst of COVID as well. And I think these filmmakers are awesome. I can't wait to see what they do next. Yeah, I mean, talking about, re you mentioned the recasting. I mean, this is like, this is like a, a a rescue mission performed by the cast of the Full Monty. 
I mean, mm-hmm. that's how yes. that's how average Joe these guys are. <laughs> There's like some comic moments in this movie, like that great awkward photo they take at the airport when they land. <laughs> I, that could be the cover of this movie. Uh, also, what's yeah. interesting is so the reason why none of the kids are interviewed in this movie is that they contracted with Netflix. And I think Netflix is putting out its own documentary about the rescue, but from the kids perspective. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. That'll be cool because, to watch. I mean, what what is, you know, you, you watch this movie in the first 45 minutes, you're thinking, well, why aren't the kids on? And then I don't think you need to have the kids for this because the, the focus of this movie is about the rescue, not about the survival inside the cave. But their perspective is totally valid and, and would be awesome to hear. Well, yeah, ju- just what happened. Well, I mean, what, how long were they in? Like, a, they were in there seven or eight days before they saw anybody. Mm-hmm. And just what happened in that time, I, that was one piece that I was wanting to see what happened. The other one I thought was really interesting was absent was the coach. And then uh, did some research afterwards and the coach did end up dying. Um, he died uh, in a, during an operation uh, afterwards dealing with some injuries that he had suffered mm. um, while, while in there, which I mean, which is understandable. I mean, can you imagine being the one adult in there with all these teenage kids? I mean, how much did he have to try and was he potentially fighting to get out of there? I, I can't even imagine. I can't mm. imagine. Anyways, brilliant movie. So uh, it's, it seems to be coming down to this or Velvet Underground, right? Or maybe Summer of Soul for, for the Oscar. I, I think it's that this is kind of the front. This and Summer of Soul. It, it depends on if they're if they're willing to go with a movie like summer of soul, since they've been resisting um, movies that are primarily archival like that recently. Yeah. I, I don't think, I, I don't think flea is necessarily going to win, but it could be in there. <laughs> there are a yeah. lot. Yeah. But I mean, velvet underground somehow is, is the front runner, but is that how Todd Haynes wants to win his Oscar? Yeah. I think, I think that's the reason it's, it's more Todd Haynes in the movie itself. Yeah, and the, and yeah, I, I mean, this I is didn't this, even give it a thumbs up. Like, I wasn't even a fan. This is the crew that that did uh, that did just win the Oscar for uh, for Free Solo too. So, are they gonna want to reward someone, uh, uh, filmmakers that just won not that long ago? They did it with Farhadi. They they did. So, are these filmmakers of Farhadi of documentaries? I think that's a that's a fair statement. I think they're awesome. <laughs> I I have not seen Meru. Have you either of you guys seen Mirror? That was their movie before uh, Free Solo, and their upcoming movie. I've heard that's really good though. Yeah, I've heard it's great too. And their upcoming movie is, <laughs> I think they're making it about the guy who created uh, the Patagonia line of like, um, like clothing because he was like a some sort of mountaineer or explorer or adventurer. Um, but yeah, they're they're awesome. Married couple. All right. Maybe well, Adam, before maybe Adam's Billy Eilish documentary will will slide in there. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. Two Oscars. Well, speaking of Adam, he wanted to give his two cents on the rescue as well. So he sent me a little audio clip here of uh, of him talking about the rescue. I, th- I think he was a fan. All right. So here are here are Adam's thoughts on the rescue. Well, I got to say, Zach, this was an awesome recommendation and an awesome number one film. I definitely agree with you. I thought this film was actually a little more compelling for me to watch personally than free solo i really like that free solo as well but the rescue man there was something about this movie that 
I had a, my heart beating a little faster. I felt intense. I think the part of it was that I didn't really know the whole story about this event. I actually don't recall what actually happening in person, even though it happened a few years ago. So it was really refreshing to see this film and uh, to see it all come together and see the amazing outcome that I would never expect. This is something that only movies come up with, right? But actually this is real life and it's a very well-made documentary and damn good movie to be in your top 10 list. So really awesome and appreciate that. So for me, this is a 3.5 star film and it's currently number 15 on my top 15 movies of 2021 list, I guess. But if I didn't like my list, so my top 10 list, I can definitely see it possibly sneaking in in the future. So good. good thank you. All right. Well, there I, you go. I wish he liked his, his list less. Um, whatever that means. I think when, when the, the, you know, when we see the article in Vulture or New York Magazine about the, the streaming war, the, the rights war to get this story, because now we know three movies are, are going to be out there that tell this story. You know, just remember what Jeremy Irons said in Margin Call, you know, to, you have to either be first, be smarter or cheat. And these filmmakers were first and they're probably smarter. They didn't cheat though. Did not cheat, did not cheat. I mean, they did some recre recreations, but that's not cheating. That, that's not cheating. No, that's Earl cheating. Morris does it all the time. All right. Well, that's the rescue. Thrice approved, quad approved. Um, and it, I think it's going to be in our in our site top five now because... Now Adam needs to watch Yakuza and the family. Yeah. I think at some point next time we, we meet together in Portland, we should all go cave diving. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> you could say the movie was like an hour and 45 minute long advertisement for for the fun and perks of cave, cave diving. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, let's move on. It is now time for power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. It's been a while since we've done a, a true a true power rankings, and uh, and this one's going to be a lot of fun. Zach picked it for us. Uh, we're going to be picking uh, picking Adam's list, trying to guess that one in a, in a little bit also. But Zach, tell us what we're talking about today. Uh, we're doing top unexpected movie TV heroes. <laughs> so in honor of a hero and the heroic. Uh, cave divers and the semi-heroic yakuza, fallen yakuza. We're looking at people who uh, movie characters who were unlikely to be heroic, but maybe through circumstance uh, became heroic one way or another. I'm this still not entirely sure I know what this list is, but I mean, I have. You need both. <laughs> well, and and I I was sending Zach some texts yesterday, and he was like, "I don't even understand your questions of of what qualifies <laughs> and what doesn't." But we'll we'll get to some of that in a little bit. <clears throat> this was this was one that I thought was it was a lot of fun uh, once I got into it. But at first, I'm like, "What the hell? What is <laughs> what am I doing with this?" But then then as you get going, it it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So. Let's see here. Should I start with this? I'm going to start. Go for it. Okay. So my my number five uh, 
<laughs> I might. I think I'm going to be the only one that mentions an MCU movie because I'm starting with an MCU movie. I'm starting with the very first MCU movie, and my number five is Dummy, the uh, the robotic arm uh, in Tony Stark's lab in Iron Man. Uh, All right, now yeah. now we're talking. Now we're talking. I mean, this thing this thing is stupid. The the this this robot he's designed is horrible. The main thing we see him doing at, up until this point is he's the one holding the fire extinguisher when he's testing the Iron Man suit to see if just in case he uh he like bursts into flames and then he doesn't burst into flames and he shoots him with the fire extinguisher anyways and um and so he does all these horrible things but when it comes down to it when everything's you know having issues and obadiah stane has stolen the arc reactor out of his chest it's dummy that gives him the backup one while he's laying there lifeless about to die and because of that He's able to uh, he's able to fight and go on and save the world to the point that when you get to Iron Man three and his house is destroyed and it explodes, he leaves with just a trailer full of stuff. And on that trailer, one of the few things is dummy. He survives and he moves on. So number five and and it's uh, dummy is in Peter Parker's uh, or no is is in uh, Happy's apartment in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. So, uh, Dummy has survived longer than anyone else in the MCU, and uh, he's my number five on the unexpected, unlikely heroes. Wow. What a way to start us off. Wouldn't expect (laughs) anything less. Uh, There we go. There we go. All right, Todd, number five. Well, see, my list is kind of different. Well, mine's more like characters that you that probably shouldn't be heroes that end up being heroes i don't know what's that's, fair. that's fair mine is, uh, my number five is harry dunn and lloyd christmas and dumb and dumber <laughs> i was thinking about them nice they Good are pick. dumb but they get wrapped up in this kidnapping plot and ransom plot that they don't even really realize that they're in they they get rid of the money by writing high-priced ious which actually foils the villain's plot without knowing it and they constantly are like just screwing shit up because they're stupid and mean to each other, and it just confuses them. And uh, they they kill the main thug by giving him chili peppers. Like I mean, they, they completely save the day, all in the name of love, or I guess revenge because of French tickling Freda Felcher or whatever. But it's unexpected because they're just a limo driver. And, Send me a John Deere letter. And, and yeah, exactly. And and a, a limo driver and a pet groomer, and they have a worm <laughs> farm. And but they are the undisputed heroes, and they they completely destroy the kidnapping plot. I like it. I like it. Yeah, we took it completely different ways. Like you looked at it that way. I'm look I looked at it as like the unexpected thing that has the heroic moment. Okay. That that's yeah, what I went for. Hopefully Zach took it a completely different way too. That that oh, would be awesome. That would be awesome. He did. There we go. All right, Zach, number five. So I just went with characters that you wouldn't <laughs> that that got continually underestimated. Like, you know, these characters that maybe you have you know, weird backstories or impairments or impediments that would prevent you from thinking that they would save the day or come in at the right situation. Um, I want my number five pick is my TV pick. And uh, this is a character who is actually probably more heroic 
in many ways than you would expect. He tries to be heroic, which makes him unheroic. I guess in a way he'd be a good Farhadi character. And that is Dwight Schrute on The Office. And in particular, I'm going with one particular episode that I rewatched uh, earlier today. And I thought, man, it's kind of perfect for the list. <laughs> and that is the season three episode, uh, The Negotiation. And it is when Dwight pepper sprays uh, Pam's ex-fiance Roy and saves uh, Jim from getting ah. uh, beat up. And why this particular episode is good is because the rest of the episode is Jim trying to uh, 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 basically praise Dwight for being a hero. And Dwight just continually says, heroes don't need recognition. And, send, and then finally, at the end of the episode, he prints out like a gift, a, 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 uh, uh, like an award template that he finds online with like a little teddy bear on it and says, this award <laughs> is presented to a brave young man named Dwight Schrute. Uh, and uh, Dwight is very heroic in the show in, in many circumstances. But, you know, with the, the nunchucks and the flying stars beneath his desk, uh, he is ready to be a hero at any minute. So I don't know if he's unlikely a he hero, but uh, in that episode, he actually was heroic. See, I was thinking you were going to go with, like, the, the fire drill episode, which... <laughs> Ryan He's... started the fire. He did. He did escort everybody out. Same with the bat too. No, he locked was... every door so they couldn't get out. Remember? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very <laughs> it's unheroic, I guess. See, he has Maybe more moments. He has more moments like that than he does like like pepper spraying Roy. Yeah, or finding the pervert who exposed himself to Phyllis, and then it actually ends up being him on the poster. <laughs> Todd doesn't know what we're talking about, so let's just move on uh that's great it's though. just listen all i do is watch the office there's nothing going on it's snowing it's awful it's covid every everything sucks it's nice to have dwight Schrute on after a long day very nice very nice all right my number four is a movie i mentioned way too much in these power rankings because it's like the second or third time i've mentioned it but i mentioned it way too much my unlikely hero at number four is daniel radcliffe's lifeless body in swiss army man um that is one unlikely hero. Um, first, I mean, just the fact that he shows up on shore uh, saves Paul Dano from hanging himself because he was about to kill himself. And then he sees that there's someone there. And then he he's able to to ride this this corpse in his magical powers off the island and uh, and find where he wants to go. And uh, yeah, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe's lifeless body which apparently is named Manny in Swiss Army Man, is uh, is my number four. Wow. So you're going to have, like, FedEx on there from Castaway or something? I, I could. I could have had FedEx. I did not. I did not. You should, though. I think you should. Okay. All right, Todd, number four. My number four is a movie that I really like. I don't know anyone else that's actually seen it. It's called He Was a Quiet Man, and the character is Bob McConnell, played by Christian Slater. And he, he plays a, an office worker who has dreams of just shooting the place up. And he's going to do it. He's prepared to do it. But then this like unlikable co-worker beats him to it one day. And then he's like sort of thrust into the situation of having to be the hero because he actually ends up killing that guy. And then he saves his co-worker that was injured, played by Alicia Cuthbert. And he's considered a hero by the people that he was going to murder. So it's a really sort of a complicated thing. And he, I mean, it actually does have a really sad uh, series of events, but it is, <laughs> it is a really heroic character and a really loser, 
like a, a very much a loser character that becomes the undisputed hero in the eyes of everybody else that he are, that he hates. It's a cool movie. I've I've never seen it. I've seen like the DVD at Walmart. <laughs> you should you in should the, check it 90, out. 90 cent, 99 cent bin. It's available on Tubi. Nice. There we go. Nice. All right, Zach, number four. All right, so I think the classic tenant of uh, any unlikely hero is short stature and mild mannered. And those are two words that describe my number four character played by Macon Blair. And his name is actually Dwight, even though I forgot that. And the movie is Blue Ruin, one of my favorite movies of the 2010s. And as the movie opens, you know, Macon Blair, not exactly the world's most intimidating guy. What, maybe five, seven, a little bit heavy set, bad haircut. I think he wears a sweater in the movie. And uh, he's just, he's got, he's got long hair at the beginning of the movie. He's just camping out in his car. And over the course of this movie, this guy becomes a badass. He gets trained by uh, Buzz from Home Alone. And we don't really know exactly why he's on this uh, revenge tour. He goes to a local club and has a really cool shootout fight sequence that involves a limousine <laughs> in like rural, you know, Maryland or Delaware, I think. And uh, the guy is like, I think he's like this sort of um, prototype for like Walter White. I guess it comes a little after Breaking Bad, but like he's this everyman who uh, is seeking revenge. We find out a little bit later why it's about warring families and some, you know, betrayal and some, you know, some serious backstory. But the guy just evolves over the course of the movie from being this kind of outcast to being this kind of guy who seems sort of quiet and, you know, not threatening to a total, like, deviant, you know, boss, OG, <laughs> by the end of the movie, who no one wants to mess with. So I think Mason, Macon Blair is awesome. I kind of wish that he had had more of a career. I thought this movie was really a launching stone for his career. Um, I don't know if that's really happened, but this is definitely one of my favorite indie movies of the decade, and he's great in it. Macon Blair in Blue Ruin. Todd agrees with me, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great choice. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. All right. On to number three. My number three. Uh, so I I had um I had emailed Zach or I texted Zach and asked if uh do, do the hero unexpected unlikely heroes have to be characters? And and he said, um, um, no, I guess not. And so my number three is not a character, but it is a very unlikely unsung hero this is also my tv pick and uh and this pick is magnets bitch from breaking bad <laughs> absolutely yeah. uh, it, it, a very unlikely hero in in breaking bad in in saving the day crushing the laptop uh yeah getting breaking into the prison prison uh evidence room without breaking in magnets magnets bitch just basic chemistry, yo. Basic chemistry. <laughs> it was either going to be that or or just science. Yeah, yeah science. science. <laughs> there you we go. could say leaves of grass. That'd be another one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, my my example to to Zach was uh, um, of what I was asking about was like the flight plan cover in Apollo thirteen. Yeah, and I th I think you should still use that. That was that was great. That's the best. That's the best gimmick answer I've heard so far. It's better than anything I, I've come up with. Better than magnets. 
I think it's better than magnets, but okay, okay, whatever. We'll we'll go with what you said. I hate Gronk. <laughs> uh, all right, Thad number three. Uh, my number three is Jesse Eisenberg's character Columbus in Zombieland, because he's just a nerdy dude and he has no business becoming like a badass zombie killer. He can't even really talk to girls, but he ends up with like peak hotness Emma Stone. Because he is a absolutely a hero. He's so cautious. One of his rules of Zombieland is actually don't be a hero. Like, and yet his rules do work, but he has to go against <laughs> them to protect what he considers his like new family or whatever. But I mean, he I mean he does kill Bo Murray. Yes, that's probably why he's not number one. But he uh, he's still <laughs> absolutely the a, a the and the hero of the movie. Very nice. Very nice. It's when Jesse Eisenberg don't be a hero. And he it's when Jesse Berg, Jesse Eisenberg was still playing heroes <laughs> and not gimmicky villains. True. Well he well the art of self-defense, he's sort of the hero. Yeah, that's true. I'm surprised actually you didn't go with that one out of if you were gonna go with an Eisenberg pick. Because that's that's more of a Todd movie. True. All right. All right. Zach, number three. Uh, my number three is actually an Oscar-winning role. Uh, it is the Best Actress winner from 1962. It is Anne Bancroft as Annie Sullivan in The Miracle Worker. Now, listen, okay, are there that many heroes in The Miracle Worker? Probably not. The reason I went with her, though, is because nobody thinks in this movie that the person who can teach Helen Keller can also be someone who is blind herself. And so the, the Helen Keller's, you know, uh, ignorant, semi-Confederate racist Southern family uh, doubts Annie Sullivan at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and the truth is, uh, even though Anne Bancroft does play a blind character in the movie, she is the most heroic character in the movie. She's able to uh, actually get Helen Keller to communicate and uh, become someone who's educated and uh, become a part of society and become a hero to other people as well. And I think that is heroic in itself. So and, and two great performances all time, two Academy Award winning performances, Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke. But to me, Annie, Annie Sullivan is the re real hero of that story. And I really wanted to go with an older movie because I didn't want to go with uh, an MC movie or uh, a Zombieland movie. So let's go with something respectable. Let's bring a little class in here and go with Anne Bancroft and Miracle Worker. The real well people done. is a little hard, though. The what? It's a real person, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes it. I mean, that, that that's almost <laughs> a different category. So you're saying they have to be fictional people? I mean, Terry's I mean, using a dead body, about. so <laughs> I think uh, a real sure. person should. If it, if we're going to count a dead body and a flight plan cover, we should also count and science and magnets. I think a real person should not be excluded. And, I was and, just saying and, I was counting robot stuff. <laughs> uh all right my number two is the first one that's an actual person uh this this is someone who is is kind of having a, an identity crisis throughout the film trying to figure out what what his role is how he can help how he can contribute in some way uh if he can cut it even if he can even make it if he can be a part of it in any way and then he finds his moment. Da, 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 
it's Bill Murray in Space Jam. Yes. Um, and uh, I mean, even though he doesn't play defense, uh, even though he needs to ice down his knees afterwards, uh, he does have a he he is undefeated and untied, and uh, and comes in and saves the day. Is the fifth player, so Wayne Knight doesn't have to play. Um, no, I guess he I guess he already played and couldn't play anymore. But yeah, Bill Murray, Larry's not white. Larry's clear. Number two. Yeah, that's in my honorable mentions. That <laughs> it's a very clear choice. Uh, I may have been just been too loud. I may have woken up my daughter in the room next door, but that's okay. It was worth it. <laughs> uh, I, I had to be on there. It had to. It had to. All right. Thought number two. My number two is Carrie Mahoney, played by Steve Gutenberg in Police Academy. He is a loser, a womanizer, a scoundrel. He really doesn't like people insulting him because he ends up destroying his uh, uh, valet parking job by car- driving on two wheels and destroying some asshole's car and ends up you know, getting the choice of, Yo, you're going to go to the police academy or you're going to go to prison. And so he chooses the police academy and he tries to get thrown out. And he does get thrown out for something he didn't do. And But when the cadets actually are going to do some real work on the streets to help a riot situation... He's not even enlisted anymore, and yet he goes anyway, and he saves the day with Hightower, who also could be it, because he was just working as a florist. But they both were so good at saving the day, unexpectedly, that they be, they get promoted to lieutenants, even though neither of them were actually in the academy anymore. And it's ridiculous, but he's got a heart of gold, and he is absolutely a hero. and Because he does things that are for the greater good, but mostly just selfish shit. I had in my honorable mentions hooks from Police Academy because I mean she can't she, she can barely necessarily maybe well, in Police can, Academy five she can like barely talk until she pins some guy to the ground don't move dirt bag yeah true but Hightower was at working as a florist and Mahoney wasn't like he just went along for the ride <laughs> and they saved the day yep played by the late Super Bowl champion Bubba Smith yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like the pick. I like the pick. Thanks. All right, Zach, number two. All right, number two. I'm going with a movie that I don't think either of you have seen, which is really unfortunate. But I believe Adam has, or maybe not. Who cares? I'm going with John Goodman. Uh, John Goodman is a hero in every movie we know. But the movie I'm going to choose to go with him in is Arachnophobia, where he actually plays the exterminator named uh, Delbert uh, McClintock. And Delbert is a really bad exterminator. Um, and of course he's in the middle of this crisis when these killer spiders have overtaken an entire uh, town in California. But the reason why Delbert is, he's one of the few people that survives, spoiler alert, um, but not because he's smart. Uh, he actually, his best method for killing the spiders is to smash them with his foot. Um, and he talks a lot about his beer collection in the movie. And uh, listen, I think arachnophobia is wonderful, and I think he's also a hero for bringing in comic relief to what otherwise would have been taken as a movie way too seriously. And uh, John Goodman's just always a hero, and I don't have a whole lot else to say, but I really just wanted to talk about arachnophobia, which is a movie I love. So John Goodman, great, great bug and spider <laughs> exterminator. I've never seen it. Either have I. That's, that's but, horrific. <clears throat> but you're right, I think Adam has. Well, didn't you so, do a thing about that? No, we did. We did something about Adam's family values. 
I think I want to do something with arachnophobia where you guys watch it the first time. I, I really want to hear your reactions to it because it's a movie I've grown up with and I deeply love and actually think it's kind trivia. of a, a, a brilliant movie. There you go. Yeah. If you win trivia. Yes. Except I want to like actually secretly devote a whole episode to it, but okay. Just deep dive it. Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Oh, Adam, come on. Adam gave it two and a half stars. Yeah, well, <coughs> he also only gave three and a half stars to the rescue because he liked his list too much. <laughs> I, I think he said it. It he liked his list too much to have it crack the top ten. But anyways, all right, moving on to number one, and my number one. It's the first one I thought of, and uh, I couldn't think of anything else that topped it. Uh, I may have thought of it because I was watching it with my son at the time when I was trying to come up with the list. Uh, my number one is Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter series. <clears throat> he is the perfect unsung hero. Uh, he starts everything. First movie, he's this chubby, awkward kid that only messes things up. Um, but he ends the first movie by getting the clinching points to win the House Cup. So there's that. But then you go to the end of it, and he is the one that strikes the final blow to kill the snake, which is the final Horcrux that finally vanquishes Voldemort. Um, and it was and it was Neville, and, and you you get to learn more about him as you go along. But this this geeky nobody, useless guy turns into the hero that finishes the whole thing. And uh, and he's always just kind of there. And uh, he's much more heroic than he, he even realizes. And he knows he can be. So, number one, it had to be Neville Longbottom. I don't even remember the character. <clears throat> That's, sad. That's sad. I just remember he has issues on his uh, broom in the first one. He does. Flying he does. flying difficulties. He also he has a pet frog named Trevor. Okay. That's a terrible pick, by the way. It's a it's the best pick. It's the I thought pick. when you were saying you're never gonna top that, I thought you were gonna go Jim Lovell. I mean I that know. that's better than Neville Long or Fred Hayes. I mean, no, if, if I was gonna go guy? with a guy from that, it was gonna be the steely eyed missile man. Okay. That's he's fair. he's the un, he's the unlikely hero in that. John, yeah. Yeah. What about the uh what what are the the people that you got you guys hate in that movie that I had as the Drummond guys? Thing. Yeah. Or the no, flight the, surgeon. Oh, and the flight surgeon. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> yeah, both of them are heroes in a way. <laughs> More of the Grumman guys though. Well, yeah. yeah because I mean, the flight they're... surgeon is is rendered useless as soon as they remove their biomed sensors. Yeah. Jimmy Wynn, also a great hero for the <clears throat> for uh the, the Houston Astros. And that must have been one hell of a trip to Pittsburgh. So mm. if if it was more exciting than that flight. So you can tell we have great lists when we go on Apollo 13 tangents. <laughs> That's always a good sign. Uh, all right. Todd, number one. Uh, my number one is a movie from a movie that I don't know that you guys have seen, but it was the first thing I thought of and it still was number one. And it is Wesley Gibbon Gibson, which is uh, um, what the hell is that actor's name? Uh, I don't even remember his name. Yeah, wanted. Uh, I can't McAvoy? James McAvoy. That's the actor. Uh, <laughs> yes, his character in Wanted. Um, <laughs> which is another office worker, actually, uh, who hates his life. But 
he winds up saving the world, sort of. His father is like an assassin, but he has no skills at all. But he somehow stumbles upon his skills when he's able to like bend bullets and develop the, you know, the skills of it, like a trained killer. And he ends the movie by, by looking at the camera and being like, what the fuck have you done lately? And I think that's the point of this list. Like, like, uh, like he, 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 even, he doesn't even think that he himself was possible. Uh, it was possible that for what he was able to accomplish. And uh, I, I, I think the movie, the movie is awesome. I think it's one of the best action movies of the 2000s. It should have been a franchise. And I don't know why it never became one. I like Probably that because the director flopped in his next movie after that. But yeah. So you've seen it. I've seen Wanted, yeah. Good. Yeah, I have too. It's a good movie. It's a good one. What was what was Teamer's next movie after that? Was it was it Vampire Hunter? Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He directed Hunter? that. I think he made a Ben Hur movie, right? Yeah, but that was oh. next. Let me do some research, which I clearly did, consider I couldn't remember the main actor's name. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. I don't think I've ever thought of that actor in a long time. <laughs> what does he do now? He's in M. Night Shyamalan movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I guess Vampire Hunter was his next American movie. I like that one. That one was fun. A- Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah. Well, that was a <laughs> flop, though. But that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but yeah. yeah. But, but I, I thought they, they had planned one and two at some point. That, that would have been fun. I, that that could have been a franchise easily. Yeah. All right. Zach, number one. All right. Well, this is spinning out of control. So let's get someone who actually is heroic. And, uh, you know, heroes come in many shapes and forms. And sometimes it's the most mild manner people that you don't expect. Like the small time business owner who has a penchant for pudding and has a lot of sisters who constantly chastise him. But he wants the frequent flyer miles. And uh, even if he doesn't really ever need to use them. And when Philip Seymour Hoffman sends the brothers to go and get him to pay up, uh, that's when he turns into a hero. And you know him. You love him. It is Adam Sandler as Barry Egan in Punch Drunk Love. Again, he, he wears the same suit in the movie, which I think he also wears in Uncut Gems. And uh, he is not someone that's very intimidating. He gets, uh, he says, he, he says to the guy on the phone at the beginning of the movie, would you like my home phone number? And the guy's like, why would I need that? And you know what, though, when he needs to kick ass to protect his woman and fly out to Hawaii, uh, he does that. And he saves the day. He saves his company and his reputation. And he kicks Philip Seymour Hoffman's ass. And uh, it's a great moment. And you're, I think, uh, if we're talking unlikely heroes, Barry Egan is has to be at the top of the list. I think James McAvoy always going to be an action hero to some degree. I think Neville Longbottom, debatable whether he's a hero, slash we haven't seen those movies. And uh, he kills Voldemort. I think like Barry he literally e- kills him. <laughs> Barry Egan takes down Philip Seymour Hoffman, <clears throat> ultimate tête-à-tête in the Paul Thomas Anderson universe. So I, I think that wins any day. The movie that James McAvoy made before Wanted was Becoming Jane. Like, he was not an action hero at the time. Well, the movie Adam Mr. Sandler Thomas. made was Eight Crazy Nights. True. Before Punch Drunk Love. And Mr. Deeds. That's true. All right. 
That's a All good right. pick. Well, let, let's wrap wrap this up. Let's do five to one. Then we'll do some honorable mentions and guess Adam's list. All right. So my five to one, number five, dummy from Iron Man. Number four, Daniel Radcliffe's lifeless body and Swiss army man. Number three, magnets, bitch from breaking bad. Number two, Bill Murray from space jam and number one, Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter. Todd. Number five, Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas from dumb and dumber. Number four, Bob McConnell from he was a quiet man. Number three, Columbus from Zombieland. Number two, Carrie Mahoney from Police Academy. And number one, Wesley Gibson, played by James McAvoy in Wanted. I like how you made sure you just shout out the name. Yes. That time around. You're not going to forget it now. Yeah, it's good to know the name of your superhero, especially yeah. number one. Uh, my number five was Dwight Schrute in the episode The Negotiation. <laughs> number four is Macon Blair in Blue Ruin. Number three, who's also named Dwight. Number three. Annie Sullivan, played by Anne Bancroft in The Miracle Worker. Number two, the greatest spider extinguisher in the movies, Delbert McClintock, played by John Goodman in Arachnophobia. And number one, Barry Egan, played by Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie. All right. Honorable mention time. So I already mentioned uh, Hooks from Police Academy. Let's see here. What other ones do I have on here? I have Richard Parker from Life of Pi. I've got that on here. Mm -hmm. um, Reggie, played by Freddy Rodriguez and Lady in the Water. He's the one that's doing the science experiment of only working out one half his body. And uh, he ends up being like the savior and the hero of the entire thing. Um, and then I've got two more here. Uh, spelling in uh, in The Departed. That, that's a hero Who? spell no just spelling Being oh able to spell oh is okay. a hero in the departed it's like was that anthony anderson's name no no just just the, the ability to spell and so then actually, of anthony course anderson should be on our honorable mentions too sorry terry go ahead he's not really of course i mean it should have been number one it's number one in our hearts it's trish from barb and star yes i love it <laughs> dodd uh, I have Wreck-It Ralph, I, for obvious reasons. Uh, uh, George of the Jungle, which I thought was a shoe in for Terry's list. Uh, the Tattooed Prisoner, played by Tommy Lister Jr. in The Dark Knight, because he does the really selfless act of, uh, you know, not uh, of, of blowing up his own <laughs> yacht instead of the other one. Uh, Bill Murray, of course. Rod and Get Out. Obviously, oh, uh, Paul Bart Mall Cop, because I've never seen it, but it still seems like the <laughs> Mall Cops should be Max, which is the driver in Collateral, Stanley Goodspeed, of course, Truman yeah. Burbank, Wally, along with all of the other Pixar leads, pretty much. And my video game would be Pac Man because he's just a circle, but he does kill a lot of aliens. So, Pac Man. My video game pick was going to be Otacon. I thought about Otacon. But he doesn't ever really do anything heroic, except for, like, alert snake that they're wearing the stealth camouflage. He's the guy in the chair. The guy I in went... the chair? Yeah, the, the, the Spider-Man thing. Ned, he's the guy in the chair. Oh. Yeah. Ned. My video game character was Gilbert Arenas in 2K6. Because <laughs> you could score, like, 100 points with that guy. With very little talent. Well played. Yeah, and I think I think it goes without saying we could have done this list. We should have said 
top five unexpected heroes, not counting Stanley Goodspeed. I mean, that's obviously, yeah. I think everybody's yeah. number one. So that's just sort of an obvious one. I don't know how Rod didn't make your list, Todd. That That's a huge oversight. Uh, he, yeah, he, that's that's the best that was one. A great, that was a great said. pick. Um, I went, I went, uh, I don't know how we forgot about Rudy. Uh, we forgot about Babe. We forgot about, uh, oh, another video game character I had was CJ and uh, GTA San Andreas. But I'm, I think it's because when I had CJ, I made him really fat. And so he didn't <laughs> seem very athletic. He couldn't like swim very fast. And he often got arrested. Um, CJ, the I main went, character? Yeah, he's yeah. the main character. Um, I went with the guy at the end of Compliance who calls bullshit on uh, the caller on the other end. Um, the guy who's finally like, you know, you're full of it. Uh, uh, Officer Daniels, the Paul, the the Pat Healy character. I also went with um, Roger Ebert because at the end of life itself, he became a hero. Like the wounded warrior of cinema is what Werner Herzog called him. And then I have a couple special mentions. Shout out to Sergeant Bilko, because when it comes to risk, he knows the odds. And when it comes to honor, he's the one soldier willing to hustle. And he's just so damn proud. And then in the same vein, Forrest Whitaker in Vantage Point because we weren't there. But he actually filmed it and made Dennis Quaid say, rewind that. And that's heroic. Lovely. I, I like it. I like it. Sergeant Bilko, great shout out. We should actually watch that movie at some point. Yes. <clears throat> Deep dive. All right. It's now time. Adam's list. I, I'm gonna be impressed if we get if we get one, because we have no idea what direction he's taking this. Okay, so here's my prediction. Um, I have a tie for fifth. Um, you can't have two in. in but they're basically the, they're basically the same character. Uh, my tie for fifth is Free Guy from Free Guy and Emmett from the Lego Movie. Um, they're basically you'll get, the same you'll get a half a point if you get one of those. Actually, okay, no, number, you'll probably win the thing anyway. But <laughs> number four is uh, Scott Pilgrim from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, number three is Milton from Office Space. Uh, number yeah, two is will. Sadness from Inside Out, and mm. number one is Jar Jar Binks from The Phantom Menace. All right, I have up. number five. Number up. five, I have Han Solo coming back to save the day in Star Wars. Yeah. Number four. Gordon Freeman, which is the main character in the Half-Life video game series. I don't know if he plays it, but I've heard that that would fit. Number three, I have Steve Rogers in Captain America, the first Avenger. Number two, John McClane in Die Hard. And number one, the driver in Drive. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number five is Moses in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great choice. <laughs> <laughs> number four is rick dalton aka leo in once upon a time in hollywood number three is clarice starling number two is butch in pulp fiction and number one stanley goodspeed okay all right well adam gave us a, a recording of this so i gotta play this now okay here we go here is adam's list all right Power rankings this week, guys. Good luck. Honorable mentions, I have Annie from Speed, Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors, Milton from Office Space, Sean no! from oh. Sean. 
Neville Longbottom from Harry Potter, Columbus from Zombieland, Norman Bates from Psycho 2, The Tramp from City Lights, and Zeus Carver from Die Hard 3. Oh, wait, let's throw in Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. Anyway, number five, I have Daxter from Jack and Daxter, the video game franchise. Daxter is a lovable friend here, kind of goofy, but he falls in this gooey batch and becomes like a ferret-like creature, and he helps Jack with all his adventures. So number four, I also have Gail Weathers from Screen 2. Uh, Gail Weathers is all about herself in that first uh, franchise, trying to get notoriety from reporting on these crimes. But in the second one, she actually becomes the, one of the heroes of the story. Number three on my list is the crew from Galaxy Quest. These simple actors That's are just promoting their show after being on the air for so many years at a Comic-Con-like convention. But they didn't know that a galactic war was taking place up in space and these aliens worshipped their show and recreated their entire ship. And they sucked them up into space and asked them for their help to battle the evil uh, entity that is attacking them. These unsuspecting crew members must not become just actors. They must become the heroes of our story. And that is why I have them at number three. Number two on my list is Shoshana Dreyfus from Inglorious Bastards. After surviving the traumatic opening sequence of the film, we see her maybe a couple of years later having a home movie theater and willing to go out and kill the Nazis here in this finale of this film. One of the greatest movie theater sequences of all time, but Shoshana is awesome what she's able to do here and has a device of quite the plan here to kill all these uh, Nazis, I must say zombies, but these Nazis in this theater. And number one is Sarah Connor. Now, a lot of people would associate this character as being one of the badass female characters of all time. However, in that first Terminator film, that's where I feel like she's truly unexpected. She's just a waitress. She doesn't really have a ton of crazy action moments here, but you see her progression through the film as just becoming a waitress to be slowly evolving into this badass character that we know and love today. She has that awesome final climactic battle against the Terminator here, where the Terminator is Asta Lasagna. He is out of there and based on Sarah Connor's amazing arc. So number one has to be Sarah Connor for me. Hopefully you guys did well, and hopefully Todd didn't win this time. Well, we'll see. Say Asta Lasagna. You said Asta Lasagna. Don't get any on you. I don't remember what that's from, but I remember hearing it. Hmm. Okay. How many times do you think it it took him to rehearse that and record? (laughs) Seriously. I think he put more, he had more production value in his his list reveal than we've had in any podcast we've ever made. Uh, so we didn't get anything, right? I got I got Milton from Office Space from his honorable mention. I had, I had a Tarantino movie at number two, which he also. I had a Die Hard movie, and he had that in his honorable mention. If he had remembered had... Moses, he would have put that on his list. <laughs> uh... I had a video game. I think Terry probably wins because I, Terry actually was the only one who had anything remotely that Adam mentioned. And he had Neville Longbottom. And Neville Longbottom never, was on his honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And while we were listening to that, Tom Brady fumbled the ball away. Hey, and then, it's Matt and then Ryan. The center, then the center snapped the ball over Stafford's head 20, the, on the next play. So they ended up it's with happening like 15 again. yards. It's all happening. Terry got his 21st win. Yeah. Zach has 23. I have 37 and a half. And Adam, for some reason, has one, which I should take away a point because none of us would have had any chance <laughs> on that list. I win. That means I get a pick next time. 
I get a pick. That's what that. Those are the rules, Zach. I get a pick. Power rankings next time. I win. I win. What's the name of the game? I win. I All still right. don't get it, but okay. Yep. All right. Moving on to trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done trivia, so no one had anything to watch. So we're just hopping into the game. And Todd, I think you're hosting, right? Yeah. Sorry, my screen just froze, but yeah, I'm hosting. And uh, Brady Sack, fourth down. There we go. Uh, so I have three categories. All of them are related. And uh, I don't know. I mean... They're, they're well-known lists, so it'll be uh, interesting to see if you guys know the list or if you can <laughs> guess them, because you probably could guess them even if you don't know the list. We are doing the AFI 10 top 10 lists where they did 10 different genres. I have I chose three of those genres uh, for us to try to guess the movies on, those, on the list. Uh, the first one we will go with is the courtroom drama list for no apparent reason. I just, that was one that looked interesting. And we shall start with, I don't know, Terry, I guess. Uh, a Few Good Men. A Few Good Men was number five. Uh, Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men was number two. Judgment at Nuremberg. That was number ten. How many? There were ten, you said? Yes. Okay. Kramer versus Kramer. That's number three. Um, Adam's rib. That is not on the list. Oh, I took a stab. Came up short. That's a little that uh, a... for the for the AFI. That's a little uh, a little obscure. Yeah, a little little old. I yeah. would think it's right up their alley, but. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. All these other ones are very Old, well known. Irrelevant. Um, I'm going to go with To Kill a Mockingbird. That's oh. number one. It's not like my kid is named Atticus or anything. Um, Anatomy of a Murder. That is number seven. And... Um, I really want to say my cousin Vinny, but there's no way that's on the list. That should be on the list. <laughs> it's not be. on the list. We could uh, deep dive that this year. We could deep dive that this year. I I might actually have to choose that. Um man, I I, I really don't know. I give up. Okay. Uh so you have four and Terry has two. Uh the number four was the verdict. Oh. Number I mean, my top 50 movies, I should know it. Six was Witness for the Prosecution. Uh, eight was In Cold Blood, and nine was A Cry in the Dark. A Cry in the Dark, but not Adam's Rib or My, my Cousin Vinny. I, I just got to say what I'm thinking. I had I the verdict know, in my head. Cry in the Dark was, I didn't even know that was a courtroom movie. I thought I that was just either. a Dingo Ate My Baby. That's, <laughs> isn't that Silkwood? No, that's a that's a cry in the is dark. That a cry in the dark. Yeah, oh. I just didn't know it was a court movie. What's the what's the trial in it? Are they putting the dingo on trial? I'm here all night. <laughs> I don't folks. know. I've never seen it. 
I think we need to come to the stable at Cry in the Dark. Yeah, okay. Uh, the That's next not category. even an American movie. I thought that was an Australian movie. Isn't Sam Neill in it? It's an American movie I'm, set I'm in Australia. I'm calling bullshit on that. that we, we're, I'm red flying that. Director. I mean, but Meryl's the main character. I don't know. I've never seen it. But yeah, maybe we will have to come to the stable that. Next, next category is gangster movies. It should be... You might be able to almost run this category. And uh, Zach starts. Goodfellas. That's number two. The Godfather? The Godfather is number one. Uh, I guess The Godfather Part 2. That's number three. Okay. White Heat? That's number four. Yes. Cop 100 movie. Public Enemy? The Public Enemy is number eight. Okay. Um, when do these lists come out? Oh, uh, these lists came out. I think it was the last thing that they did. <clears throat> 2008. All right. So The Departed's not going to be on there. Um, <laughs> um, oh, crud. I'm going Five, with it. The Godfather four. Part 3. That is not on the list. Probably was nominated, but not did not make yeah. top ten. Zach, do you have any more? Scarface. Be more specific. Oh, really? Uh, eighty-three. That is number ten. There we go. Um, I, I, I don't think they would go with Mean Streets. Um, I don't think they would go with On the Waterfront. So I'm gonna go Dead End. That is not on the list. I don't know. What is that movie? The one with Humphrey Bogart, Dead End. Oh. The Dead End Kids slash Bowery Boys. Were either of those on the list? Mean Streets are on the waterfront? No. Okay. Was yeah, it Departed? No. Number okay. five was Bonnie and Clyde. Number six was Scarface 1932. Uh, <laughs> number, number seven was Pulp Fiction. And number nine was Little Caesar. Okay, yeah, I knew it was one of those old ones. Little Caesar, yeah. Also makers of great good pizza. <laughs> uh, and the last one, we have, well, right now Zach is up eight to four. So Terry needs a really good, and this is right at Terry's alley, because we're going with romantic comedies. And nothing screams romantic comedy like uh, old TCM watches, but Terry watches with his kids. Um, <laughs> we'll start with Terry. When Harry met Sally. That is number six. Annie Hall. Annie Hall is number two. Uh, the Philadelphia Story. That is number five. Um, bringing a baby. That is not on the list. Ooh, okay. He's, Terry's got an opening here. Yeah, he he can, do, how he many does he need? How many does he need? Uh, he needs three to tie. And four to take the lead. How do they not have bringing up baby on? That's the most uh, AFI movie ever. That is, that is that. That's it. That was a good call on your part. 
Um, okay. If they don't have that, good luck, Terry, because that's that's ridiculous. They're way more mainstream stuff. Well, well thanks for the hint. <laughs> well, I mean, there are. There, I mean, right, you'll see. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go His Girl Friday. That is not on the list. No. All right. My other one. Uh, next one I was gonna do was Pretty Woman. That's not that's on a, the list. That's either. a good guess, though. Oh. We had number one was City Lights. Number three, it happened one night. Number four, Roman Holiday. Number uh, seven was Adam's Rib. Number <laughs> eight, go figure. Num- <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, and number eight was Moonstruck. Nine, Harold and Maude. And number ten, they had Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Adam's you guys could have gotten a lot more of those, but except for Adam's Rib, that probably was <laughs> off the table. <laughs> the the, the rom com courtroom movie maybe that's why they... I, would yeah. i call city lights a rom-com it doesn't it doesn't exactly seem accurate but okay it's a comedy it's about it's as a romance much, but is it a rom-com it's about as much of a rom-com as uh the dingo ate my baby is a courtroom drama i mean <laughs> well, we an american we actually seen drama. that <laughs> i haven't seen adam's rib either is it more of a courtroom drama or a rom-com I haven't seen it. I've never seen it. Well, I'm maybe we need to deep. Maybe we need to come to the stable. What do we got? Adam's rib, a shot in the dark, cry in the dark. Not not uh, the Pink Panther shot in the dark. Although we could deep dive that as well. <laughs> I have seen a cry in the dark. That was that movie. It yeah. has two. It's another movie with like Yakuza. It has two titles because I think it has. Isn't it like Evil uh, Angels? It said. Yeah, or something like that. Like the American title is different because it's not an American movie. Anyway, I won, so I don't know why I'm complaining, but all right. Yeah, you so get to Zach won. Us whatever it is that you were gonna assign us. Yeah, so Zach gets uh, to assign us. Oh. Let's just do oh, it. I thought, I thought you were getting I thought you wanted to like deep dive it. I did, did I just want to Okay, I'll I'll, to, I'll it. give it 24 hours. I'll have to think about it. Okay, and then uh and then you get a host trivia next time. Those are the rules. Okay, I like reminder it. of the rules. All right, that's a let, rule. That's a rule. I quote that so much. <laughs> that's a rule. All right, quote of the daytime: strawberries, not the cheese. Womack with a little sex in it. Quote of the day: Zach, you won. You get to start us off. All right, my quote comes from I. I couldn't. Uh, Oh, uh, my quote comes from my number four hero, Dwight Schrute, who says, don't call me a hero. You know who a real hero, who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning, go to their jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Those are the real heroes. (laughs) Uh, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Uh, My quote of the day. So I, I did a. I did a double feature at the movies on Friday night and it was my first 2022 watches. And uh, it, it was one of those where I, I have, I have the pass to the movie theater. So it's like, sure, I'll go watch this. So I went and watched the three, five, five, which is actually a pretty good movie. I, I, I had fun with it. It's a three-star movie. Um, and, and then my second movie was one that has a higher rating on IMDb, but is much, much worse. And it's called the King's daughter with Pierce Brosnan and William Hurt. It's horrible. Anyways, um, the the final thing you see on the screen 
on that movie after you know the the climactic ending that you don't care about because the movie is awful it it finishes and the the score hits the big note and it says the end is just the beginning and so that's how that's how i feel about about this podcast did you just retrofit what you've been watching into the quote section? Yep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's very well, I, want, I wanted to quote it, but it, it, it's it's such a bad movie. It's so bad. It's like gimmicky, corny, garbage crap. From the writer of Crouching Tiger and the writer of Rain Man. <laughs> apparently. Apparently, which I didn't know. I was texting Todd in the seat because I had the whole theater to myself. I'm like, dude, I'm watching this movie. He goes, hey, that's got, that was written by these guys. I'm like, that's fascinating. It, it also turned out to be a Bing Bing fan uh, double feature because she's in both movies. I, I didn't even know who she was until I watched those movies. <laughs> she was in both. All right, Todd. You are a fan now. <laughs> uh, my quote comes from one of my the movies that featured one of my heroes, but it wasn't actually by that hero. And it also is a quote that references a movie that Zach mentioned in his honorable mentions, which is Zombieland. And I am... Uh, I am going to quote Tallahassee, which is the character played by Woody Harrelson. And he says, well, at, near the end, I've never been good at farewells. So that'll do, pig. <laughs> uh, well played. Well played. All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then. Have fun watching movies, have fun watching football, and we'll catch you on the yeah. flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. What the hell just Matt happened? Gay. Why did you sink your head like... Matt Gay, man. How does an NFL kicker leave a 47-yard field goal short? In in, in ideal conditions in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. That that was the game right there. That would have been, it was, it would have been it was. a three-possession game. That Game over.